sitting here with Anthony Magali of Terre Haute Brewing Company. It's a fantastic opportunity to sit down and welcome in 2022 uh, Financial Views with Local Brews, man. So thank you yeah, for having me, man. Cheers. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I was going to do the hit on the bar for the old... Uh... Uh. <laughs> well, you guys have such a rich history mm-hmm. uh, in Indiana, going back many, many years through various... Uh, different iterations i would say for those that may be unfamiliar with Terre Haute brewing company what's kind of the uh the origin story of this this great brand so the original brewery started in 1837 so a long time ago <laughs> um and obviously like you said it went through iterations um they shut down for prohibition and came back up and then i think they shut down for good in the 70s and um, then in 2015, uh, two local guys who had kind of revitalized this area and started mm-hmm. some other businesses decided to buy one of the original buildings, one of the original Terre Haute Brewing Company buildings, which is the one that we're in right now. Um, this was a woodworking shop, and mm-hmm. they decided to um, renovate it and revitalize Terre Haute Brewing Company and bring it back. Um, so 2016, they opened their doors, uh, and then I started in 2019. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, Terre Haute Brewing Company. So the original brewery was actually across the street. Okay. Um, you know, it's been since torn down and there's a CVS there now, but this whole block, there's a lot of original buildings. So, you know, uh, the building next to Moggers is an original building and then, uh, Stables was actually the Stables and then down the road, there's the, uh, the bottling facility that was tied to the brewery. So it was, it was really big, you know, we're talking, um, you know, around the turn of the century, this was one of the, you know, it was third, fourth largest brewery in the United States. So they were putting out like over a million barrels a year, it's crazy, um, you yeah. know, in the 30s and 40s. And it was just a massive, just massive operation. Gotcha. And it's a huge part of Terre Haute's history. So it's really cool. That's awesome, man. Because the, the, you hear, you read into the backstory, you hear about the champagne velvet, and mm-hmm. and that recipe was found, and then you guys sold it to Upland, mm-hmm. and then the new owners that you talked about kind of revitalized it. And I and I love the creativity because I think that's as I say in almost all my podcasts, it's like the craft brew universe is so full of creativity, and that's emblematic of the names of all the beers that you guys have. Sure. So yeah. obviously, I like Madame Brown here and the Brown Aged Ale, but uh, what goes into creating the names? Here at Terre Haute Brewing Company, you um, guys have a process, or is it not really? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, yeah, I think process makes it to where it's that kind of. Then it's not creative, right? Like Ooh. it kind of has to come naturally. So, you know, I mean, like with Citrogenesis, that was the first beer that I made whenever I came on here. So uh, it's all Citra hopped. So Citra, and then Genesis being, you know, it was the first beer that I brewed here. So. Mm. That one came about from that. And, you know, Madame Brown was a local legend, you know. So a lot of it is, like, there's ties to Terre Haute. And then other ones is just kind of, like, you know, power line. Like, I was a big fan of the Goofy movie whenever I was a kid. <laughs> and, you know, so we wanted to do, like, use power line. You know, mm-hmm. he was, like, the the famous uh, musician in the movie. I don't re- know if you remember No, it, I'm not but, familiar with it. Yeah. So just, you know, it, it can be a million different things. But sometimes there are, like, you know, some real thought and, like, that goes behind him like crossroads you know Terre Haute is um, the crossroads of America well, Indiana is mm-hmm. the crossroads of America but specifically sure. a spot just down the road um, 7th and Wabash is considered the crossroads of America so we use that and kind of tie in there and you can see with like the graphics that it's it's like a red barn with like a basketball goal so there's like 
you know, some ties to Indiana. Mm. Um, but yeah, it can be a lot of different things that the names come from. Sometimes it's just like we're sitting in a backyard and, <laughs> you know, you see something that that sounds like a good name and you're like, all right, that's it, you know. Oh, so. that's funny. That seems to be a pattern with a lot of the breweries that I talk with. There's no real process. I think yeah. you try to get through regimented or, you know, you don't want to get into the legal waters of sure. a similar name and things like yeah. that. Well, as a head brewer here, you're, you're kind of a mad scientist. You're making new blends. But what was the first specific craft brew that kind of hooked you to make mm. you think that maybe it's going to be um, more of my life? So, like, you know, years ago, um, I really loved... Um, Samuel Smith, like, you know, the, the oatmeal, uh, was the oatmeal stout that they did. Um, I really loved that way back when Newcastle, I used to drink a lot of that. And so, you know, I was first drinking like European beers and not drinking, you know, Miller Lite or Bush Light that, that kind of turned me around there. But I think the first beer that like inspired me to, to do something with craft beer was probably like, you know, 10 years later drinking like zombie dust and Gumball Head and Three Floyds being one of the inspirations for me. I really loved their beer, and um, you know, so that kind of got me into home brewing. I was like, man, I'd love to brew something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, so definitely some Indiana breweries and a lot of European breweries and you know, craft breweries across the country. Pale Ale, Sierra Nevada sure. Pale Ale, like that was kind of the quintessential uh like craft beer back in the day you know right. so definitely had some influence there mine was fat tire yeah uh, fat yeah, tire yeah, when sure. i was uh, in college and then obviously uh you mentioned newcastle that was uh some of my british friends used to call it nuki brown but that mm-hmm. was obviously i still love brown, brown yeah. lagers so newcastle yeah, but you know not too good on the waistline if you, <laughs> if you did sure. all the newcastle back in the day but that's uh that's great when you guys reopen this place is there any of the current breweries throughout the state that kind of inspired you or did you, because of the rich history of this place, you just want to kind of get back to the ethos of kind of the original idea. I think so. I mean, for sure there were some breweries that kind of, in, that the owners had kind of looked at as a model. Like they have big plans for Terre Haute Brewing Company. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're a, a brewery in a tap room right now, but the long-term goals are to produce a lot of beer and hopefully, you know, make it a production brewery one day. Uh, so, I mean, surely, like, Sun King, Upland were some models that they were looking at. But definitely, like, you know, making its own making it its own thing and embracing the history of it. You know, we feel like we have something special um, and very Indiana to share with people. So, um, yeah, a little bit of both. Mm. Gotcha. Now, you said you, were, you started as a home brewer, and obviously... Mm. The taps that make up Terre Haute are your, all your successes, right? So coming from a homebrewing background, it's got to be a funny story because I asked everybody this. is through trial and error. Yeah. We always want to highlight the successes, but there's a lot of great things that can come from failure. Was there any specific mm. recipe you tried, Anthony, that just came out? It sounded good on paper, but in all reality, it just came out dead on arrival, or maybe it was a brainchild of something else. Yeah, I mean, for sure there were, I mean, as you're homebrewing, like there's lots of times whenever you like, make something actually a brown ale one time you know I, it was probably the one of the original versions of madam brown but i remember a brown ale like you know really thinking like oh i'm gonna make something that's gonna be like different than other brown ales and like you know putting like a lot of brown malt in it just and it coming out re- like kind of almost uh, smoky it was like so br- you know so much brown malt um things like that you know i mean not really like anything that was like 
terrible, but just yeah, yeah. It was funny. I was talking to uh, <laughs> I was talking with Mashcraft, and they were he, he came up with a bacon beer, but he couldn't mm. render the fat, so it was just like oh man, yeah, so it'd be yeah. kind of like a difficult like, one to try, but yeah, because you know, bacon beer, oh, gotta yeah. love that, man. I mean, so blending, we'll blend and then do like weekly releases here in the tap room where we're like taking a base of madam or taking a base of citrogenesis and we're adding fruit to it or we're adding chocolate or whatever you know the whatever so we were doing that two times a week Mm. and there definitely have been some that like were really great and then there's been some that were like whoa that's bad and i think one time we did this like uh mint chocolate chip velvet one time (laughs) and used like you know some mint chocolate chip syrup you know and Mm. it was just like in in theory it was going to be really good and then in execution it was just like really sweet from the syrup and it did taste like mint but it was like so so sickly sweet that like nobody would drink it you know and it had this like almost blue color to it you know from the syrup it was bad but then you know i've also made some where i was like oh i'll just use like mint chocolate chips and put that in there Mm. and they were like really good you know so it's for sure like sometimes you can you just need to get out of your own way and like stick to the basics you know Um, we've also had some where we used like you know cotton candy and things like that that just did not turn out like you thought like (laughs) partially dissolved into the keg and Mm. then like gets clogged in the in the the down spear so it doesn't come out and you know you just got this keg that's like gummed up and nasty Mm. so yeah there's definitely been some of those for sure do you foster an environment of kind of that mad scientist oh, yeah, attitude of tinkering sure. a little bit? I mean, how yeah. many beers do you guys keep permanently on your taps compared um, to some of the seasonals that you So we have take? five beers that we'd run all year round. Okay. Um, and then we have probably uh, six more that, are, that come back every year seasonally. And then we'll do two uh, – or we'll do um, uh, a uh, seasonal. So we'll do like – one seasonal per season and we'll have rotating IPAs and last year we did a sour series so yeah it's there's a lot of stuff that's coming through I think at any given time we've probably got like 12 to 15 beers on tap gotcha do you yeah. see a lot of inroads into the sours do you guys um go, you'll expand yeah, on that or I don't know I don't I think more rotator I think right now we'll probably kind of put those on the back burner because we're really trying to focus on production right now and the sours, you know, although they're really fun, they take a lot of time to do. Yeah. And there's so many out there right now that, you know, um, the fruit's becoming really hard to get and not predictable mm. of when, what you can get. And when you get, so you come out with this, you know, idea that you're going to do this sour and this sour and this sour. And you make labels and do all this, put all this work into it. And then, you know, it's July and you'd planned in January to do this sour. And they're just like, there's no black currant to be found mm. because everyone's using fruit to make smoothie sours and, you know, do all this stuff in beer that the availability is really tough, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I won't say that it'll, we'll never do sours again. We certainly will continue to do them on tap here, you know, um, We'll do like a couple kegs here and there, but doing the in cans, I don't know. I don't know if we'll do that right away. 
Gotcha. It's uh, you know, I think this year's, year's been this past year and a half rather. Now we all keep thinking we're going to come out of this thing, and mm-hmm. we keep circling back to this. Right. So. We're just becoming more and more like numb yeah, to it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we got to learn to live with it, man. Because yeah. I think it's it's we can't yeah. have it be this much of a disruption in life. I mean, sure. coming out of that, did you guys have a lot of supply chain kind of issues? Con- oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just like everybody, our our situation was not ideal. Like we were doing probably 80% of our business in-house pre-COVID. And then we were having, you know, we have a huge event space and we were doing just monster events and had a huge staff. And after COVID, um, you know, a lot of people didn't want to go back to work and a lot of people had moved on to other fields and other Mm -hmm. jobs. So it was really tough getting, you know, people to people coming back. And so we've had to you know, and then you just couldn't do those events. You know, you couldn't do large like four hundred person events. So, right. like that wasn't even a thing. Um, so what we did was we focused on distribution at that point. Like pre COVID, we were doing twenty percent of our business through distribution, and it was just in Terre Haute and, and a couple places in Indianapolis and a couple places in Bloomington. So when we came back up, it was like, all right, we're gonna have to focus on distribution, and it basically flip flopped our model. Now eighty percent was going through distro, twenty percent was going through in house. So that became a huge part of our business model, and uh, we've been doing that for two years now, and really successful at it. Actually, I mean, we've we're we're doing deliveries now five days a week, and mm-hmm. you know we go all over Indianapolis, you know, all over 465 the Loop, and yep. so everywhere around there, and then uh, Bloomington, everywhere in Bloomington, Lafayette, Evansville. New Albany and going up to Marion and Muncie and places like that as well. So, and everywhere along the way. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of built this like pretty large distribution chain and, and, uh, yeah, that's how we've been able to kind of adapt, you know, which was no small feat because it was, you know, we're, we came into this and it was like, well, oh, we're brewers, you know, we're mm-hmm. not logistics managers and, but you do what you have to do, right? I mean, you want the business to be successful and, yeah, and that's what you have to do. So, but luckily, we're actually uh, getting ready to sign with Zinc. Well, I think we've just about have. So, uh, February first, um, we should be like gung ho with Zinc, and so that's going to take a lot of that distribution off of our plates, and we can start to really focus on what we do well, which is brew beer. So, that's yeah. fantastic because you know it's it's one of these things where you know I talk with a lot of guys and I work with a lot of business owners in my in my day to day as a as a as a financial advisor and whatnot, and he realized that what started as a passion becomes like you brew beer, but mm-hmm. now you're a manufacturer. That's, sure. That's the business, right? Yeah. And then you, a lot of guys have seen like the canning operations, like it just explode in this. Have you guys, are you guys canning your own stuff here or are you using a, a, a secondary place for it? Or Yeah, we're using yeah. a mobile canner. Yeah. yeah. So we go with ICANN, or not ICANN, we go through Ironheart. Yeah. Um, they're out of, uh, well, they're, I think they're, <clears throat> I don't know where they're out of, but they're everywhere. You know, it's a big, big company, but, um, yeah, we go through them and they just roll everything in. We can in one day and then they're moving on to the next one. So it's pretty it's pretty nice for right now at least. Yeah. I think, you know, we're we've got plans to expand in this building. Um, and that's gonna take some of the uh, event space that's not being used um, and turn it into brewing space. So once we do that, you know, that's when we could look at having a canning line. Mm-hmm. But for right now, like, you know, the brewery's just maxed out right now. There's no extra space, so yeah, it's ideal for us so that we can utilize the space that we have for brewing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it 
it's interesting to see how everybody's navigated this. It's like you, you grow, you adapt, or you kind of get stagnant, right? So right. it's like, that, I think yeah. that's a, what everybody can look back on 20 going into 21 is that yeah. it's, a, it's a pivot year. I don't think there's anybody that I've talked to that was just like, yeah, when we came back up, everything was back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Like most people have had to change some part of their business right. due to this, you know, or they just, you know, kind of took the hit for a while and and were able to sustain it and come back you know there has been some of those but you know that's no better it's that's rough yeah you mentioned that you guys have the event space and you're maybe going to limit that now but Mm -hmm. you know as far as you guys having such you're so entrenched in this community what does that term community mean to you guys here at Terre Haute I mean obviously Mm -hmm. the event space was big but now that's kind of you're looking at some different angles how to use that space more you know akin to what your your Mm -hmm. business model is but what does that what does that term mean to you guys um yeah yeah I mean community is is everything for us like you know Terre Haute um this is our backyard and we have really great relationships with a lot of the on-premise places and I think that's where to me community is is like you know, the events that are going on around here and, and how we can incorporate ourselves into those and be a part of that um, kind of growing craft beer uh, area around here. There's a festival that's coming to town uh, April 30th, and that's going to be um, our cell. It's going to happen right out here on 9th Street, so it's oh, going nice. to be between here and Afterburner. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Afterburner. Uh, I'm not familiar with them, no. Okay, that's a brewery that uh, is getting ready to open right down the street from us. Fantastic. Um, they are uh, all veteran-owned brewery, and they're friends of mine. They were home brewers back in the day, so we used to compete and, you know, share beers all the time. And we're still really good friends. And so there's going to be this uh, this festival. So it's going to be over here. I think there's by like 15, 20 breweries that have signed up for it right now, and uh, should be a lot of fun. But to me, that's you know that's community. It's like right. building relationships with you know uh, vendor or you know on-premise places around here that go past just like hey do you want a keg you know we do spe- a lot of special things with with some of them we'll do like special beers with them and make special labels and i think that that's you know i think that's the really cool part about craft beer is that it does kind of transcend just like um you know we have a product and you want to buy it you know mm-hmm. so uh yeah one of my favorite quotes relationships transcend transactions mm-hmm. man and that's uh, that's great. Do you work with a lot of food vendors and some different stout ideas or anything like that? Like when you guys um, kind of think about some of these, you know, mm-hmm. crazy blends or things that you want to do, do you use local purveyors to have a match? Oh yeah, up for sure, for sure. You mean like using some of yeah. their ingredients and mm-hmm. things like? Yeah, for sure. Um, we used to use Rex Coffee solely, um, and that's a great roaster. I actually, don't. I'm. They work. That's a part of Clabber Girl, and I think that they're still around. They. I know that Clabber Girl got bought. And so there was like some contention of whether or not Rex was going to stay around, but I'm pretty sure that they are still in business. But um, yeah, we've worked with them a lot, and uh, yeah, we do um, uh, a, a, an all local beer every fall called Sticky Green. I don't know if you've heard of that one or no, not, but that's a double IPA that we do, okay. and so we'll use you know Terre Haute honey. So it uses about mm. like 264 pounds of honey. Oh, wow! So it's a you know it's a really big beer. It's like 10 and a half percent, and um, we use local hops and local grain. We get that from Sugar Creek. So for sure, I mean, you know, you try and use as much local product as you can. 
Now, you've seen coming in at the timing that you did, coming from a home brewer to mm. the different iterations in what Terre Haute is today, is being a, a head brewer at a large-scale operation, is it different than you, than you thought it was going mm. in from having a home brewing mindset? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, whenever I came in, I thought, you know, well, you, I can make good beer. I, you know, I've been, I've been winning awards, so this will, you know, just make good beer and people will buy it. And certainly, like, if you make good beer, people will buy it. But I've learned that, like, there's just so much more to the beer industry than just making beer. Like, you have to be able to make good beer. That's a big piece of the puzzle. But marketing and planning and all these other, like, key components play such a huge role that, you know, that you don't even think about it from a homebrew standpoint. You know, Mm -hmm. people say, like, oh, marketing is probably just as important as making good beer. And you're like, ah, whatever. Like, (laughs) but then you get into it and you realize that like that marketing has to be really good and on point, at least for our business model. You know, we're like, you know, we have a 20 barrel brew house and you're not going to be able to sell 20 barrels of beer in your tap room. So we're built to, to distribute, you know, at least, you know, around us, um, and so, yeah, I mean, in order to distribute, like, marketing has to be a huge part of your, your business plan. And so, yeah, seeing the, how, how much, how important that was, like, was a real eye-opener to me, mm. for sure. Now, do you guys do that in-house, or do you bring in some, somebody from the outside to kind of give you some pointers? We, on yeah, we go direct? through a company called Boco. Okay. Yeah, and so they're local. Um, they're both <laughs> from the area, and, and they do a really good job. Have they brought any harebrained ideas where you guys were just like, hmm, I don't know about that one? Uh, I don't know. Not really. Okay. No. Kind of no. give them that they, idea they've, and they, they run with it. They have a pretty good idea of what's going to be successful <laughs> and what's not. And, uh, you know, I keep an eye on different breweries and what's kind of the, what the trends are. So mm-hmm. we kind of marry that. And, and uh, yeah, it works. Now, you mentioned the festival that you guys got coming up in April. Mm-hmm. Do you guys participate in a lot of them? I mean, I... I got to uh, taste some of your Way Out stuff at, mm-hmm. uh, at, Pac- at Pax Verum's Way Out Fest. And yeah. Those are some interesting blends, man. You guys have, you guys <laughs> yeah. have uh, big plans to participate in oh, yeah. a, lot the, yeah. a lot of the events this year? Yeah, I mean, um, that goes right along with marketing, right? Like, yeah. So you, you have to do those things. So we're going to be, I think we've got like six or seven on, mm. on right now, and that's just kind of through the first part of the year. So, yeah, we'll be all over at all the festivals that we can make. Um, so we've got Winterfest coming up um, here, and uh, just, that's just a couple weeks yeah, away. Yeah, it's not that far. Yeah, yeah. I was say. yeah, and then Frigid Digits after that at Centerpoint Brewing Company, um, and then I think there's one Cornerstone in Muncie. That's a one mm. that I had never heard of. So yeah, that's my first that first yeah. year for that one, at least for me. I don't know if it is the first year for that one, but we'll be there. Um, so yeah, I mean we'll be all over the state all year. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you guys have uh, like a staple of lineups that you try to bring to those, or do you try to throw in some? We usually try and throw rotators. in a seasonal. Yeah, we try and throw in a couple of our regular beers, and then like a rotating IPA. You know, because those are all, and it really depends on like when it is too. Like frigid yeah. digits and and Winterfest. Like we'll probably try and throw some more stouts on and some big sure. beers. But summertime, like it's going to be all light, sessionable stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, is there any any trends in the space that you see right now that you guys are kind of eyeballing to say, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that one, maybe not sure of that one. What I yeah. mean, obviously, there's there's this inflection point, it seems, where a lot of the breweries that get to a certain size, they become 
a brewer mm-hmm. to a more of a beverage company where they right. bring in spirits or they bring in seltzers or all these things. Right. Uh, what are some of the trends that you guys are seeing that you may start to take advantage of or get into or maybe just dip your toes into? So, um, you know, obviously seltzers are big right now, and I think that's going to continue to be uh, popular. Um, I don't think we're going to go down that road. Another thing that I've seen, like, that's really grown in popularity is, like, uh, fruited pilsners. Um, or just, like, not necessarily fruited pilsners, but, like, fruited light beers. You know, not necessarily a pilsner. And I think we're going to try and do one of those this spring. So we had this beer that was really popular. It was a weekly release. Um, it was called Street Justice. And this is one of those ones where you talk about, like, where a name came from. This yeah. was a really good one. We were like sitting around a fire, myself and my, my assistant brewers, and and uh, like we're burning a bunch of just like sticks and stuff in his backyard. And we kind of, you know, we got low on sticks, and it was like, dang, we're gonna have to like scavenge. So I go out to like his alley, and he lives in kind of a rough part of town. And I go out in the alley, and I pick up this stick, and I'm like, what the heck is this? And it was like, uh, like a little mini baseball bat, and it was uh, like a beating stick. And it said street justice on the side of it. And I was like, whoa. It's like, damn, dude, like, look at this thing. And so I showed it to him and he was like, that would be a cool name for a beer. You know, and, I, and the next day I'd been planning to make this, this beer that was going to have cherry juice and blood orange in it. So I was like, mm. oh, that's going to be street justice. Nice. <laughs> so that became, that became the name for that. And so we're going to use the base is going to be a Pilsner. And uh, this, this go around. And we're getting ready to release this one probably later this week. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be called Street Justice, and I, I think we might end up seeing that one in cans. That's good. Well. I, I, the first time I had kind of a, a fruity pilsner, I think it was uh, Four Day Ray. Uh, Brian, let me try this blood orange, and it was uh, it had an interesting taste yeah. to it. I'm, I think I might got an old school palate, man. Even mm-hmm. some of the bourbon blend, yeah. the beer, my palate likes bourbon or likes beer. Right. You mash them up, it doesn't necessarily work for me, but it works for a lot of people, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting, man. So that's. That's good. So you guys got a lot of festival activity. I, I hope it comes back, especially if they're all outside, man. Yeah. Why? why oh, they're you? they're not going to slow down this year. I mean, last year there was a ton of them. I yeah. mean, there were certainly some last year that that didn't happen because of COVID, but there was a lot of them that happened last year. So I think this year's going to be like pretty well back to normal. Yeah. As far as the beer festivals go, I think everybody's hoping that, man. Yeah. I think everybody's yeah. hoping that. All right, it's. Uh, you know, I find, you know, in my daily life as, a, as an advisor, mm-hmm. you know, I often tell my clients there's just four challenges to kind of creating wealth and independent for yourself. And one of those is organization. As you guys sit here as a brewery trying to navigate what you just came out of and, and the things, exciting things that you got going on, what are some challenges, what's the challenge that you're marking as kind of hurdle number one that you need to kind of cover as we kind of get out, out of right. the gate here in 2022? For, for us right now, I think our big thing is going to be production. And, yeah. and so signing with the distributor, I think that that's going to put a lot of pressure on us to really bump up production. Mm-hmm. Um, last year we were, you know, I wouldn't say we were maxed out last year. We could put out more, but, you know, we're going to have to expand in this building and we're going to have to do it fast. Um, we're expecting a lot of growth going through distributor and um, we're going to ma- have to match that. So I think that's going to be a big hurdle for us is like undertaking that challenge because there's, you know, there's so much to it, you know, besides just renovation and doing that, you've got, you've got to upgrade a lot of things in this old building. So mm-hmm. I think that'll be a hurdle for us this year. Yeah. It's just kind of trying to keep up. Mm. Gotcha. The, um, 
you know, as far as, you know, expansion, are you guys going to think you're going to have to buy a whole new suite of equipment, try to refurbish Um, some existing stuff to kind of meet the demand or? We'll buy new stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll have to buy new tanks and I mean, it's, depends on what we're talking about, right? Like, you know, I mean, if we're needing, it depends on what it is. Yeah. Tanks will look everywhere. So we might have to buy used. I mean, stainless is really hard to find right now, and I know mm-hmm. tanks are really far out, so we might have better bet looking on the used market. But, uh, yeah, it kind of depends on what we're looking for. Mm. Understood. Now, you guys had you used to have the kitchen, and now you're kind of doing these, uh, you know, you got taste of taste in mm-hmm. here now and kind of on a go-forward basis, obviously coming out of what we experienced. A lot more guys are going to the food truck idea, mm-hmm. bringing in stuff. Uh, was that kind of a reason why you guys decided to go that route as opposed to having the kitchen is just to cycle new tastes that maybe pair well with your with your beers or was it something that hey we just you know a beer crowd likes to nosh on some stuff every once and again when they get a couple glasses in them so what was the idea about bringing in kind of like a taste of taste and Mm -hmm. rotating them out as opposed to the kitchen um yeah so i mean a little bit of it was like kind of it forced our hand you know i mean with uh like i've talked about a little bit earlier with the, with COVID, you know, everybody was laid off for a while and the kitchen, I mean, obviously it was all laid off and so people kind of moved on and, you know, and then kind of starting it up was a real challenge. We didn't have the infrastructure to do it. So I, we kind of scrapped it and then talked about bringing it back. And I think in the end it was just like, you know, let's rent that space out. Let's get some cool vendors in here. Let's give somebody the opportunity to kind of build something, right? Like, you know, so the space, like, we rented out to, you know, we want to find somebody, obviously, that their food pairs with mm-hmm. our beer well. Um, but we want them to, like, basically own it and, and run their own business out of our building. And and I, it is kind of cool. We've had a barbecue place in here, and now we have Taste of Tays. So it's kind of interesting to, like, get different to have the menu be something that's kind of rotating. Mm. You know, and hopefully Taste of Tays sticks around. Their food's really good. And, um, you know, they do a good job. So I'm looking forward to them being around. And there's no timeline. You know, it's not like a, we sign a certain year contract. I mean, if it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. So, yeah. Now, is Taste of Taste a local place? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not too familiar yeah, with Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was doing a food truck for a while. Okay. And uh, then um, was kind of, I don't, I don't know if he was like, actively looking for a building mm-hmm. but whenever the opportunity presented itself he was like yeah let's you know i'll try it out so and it's been working well that's great mm. that's great so what um other than kind of just expanding the the brewer operation do you guys have any ideas that you want to use this event space for anything has anybody approached you here in the short term or is it just like eh, here's our line in the sand we're, we're going no. in this direction i mean we use it we'll yeah. use but the events just aren't what they were you know yeah. we're not doing like big ticketed events like we would do like Polly shore and you know like comedy shows and and hair bangers ball <laughs> that were like these really big events like 600 person events okay you and it was just like you you know it takes a lot of people to man something like that Mm -hmm. and you have a lot of people in a tight space that was a big thing too so yeah it just wasn't uh it just isn't something that's part that we really wanted to take on you know the events are great like they bring in a lot of revenue and they're a lot of fun but only if you can do it right you know and we aren't able to do it right right now Mm -hmm. you know so um 
we really want to just focus on beer instead of yeah. making trying to make this like experience here you know this like 360 experience where you know, you've got a tap room and events and a kitchen and all this stuff and it's all these moving parts that it's just you know you've got to have a really like big team of managers and staff and all this stuff and you know our ownership's kind of decentralized um, and so it doesn't make sense for us. You know, we don't like have the ability to um, just kind of go out and search for talent to manage those things. You know what I mean? So it was just like, let's just focus on beer. You know, that's what we are. That's what Terre Haute Brewing Company's always been. Why are we trying mm. to be like this event space? Like there's plenty of event spaces out there. You know, we've got this building and we can't keep up with how much beer we need to sell right now so let's like use the space to brew beer you know so it's just that's an easy easy decision you know the space is more valuable as brewing space than it is event space you know if that wasn't the case then i think for sure we would focus on those events you know and that's certainly what we did at one time Mm -hmm. you know was the events were really kind of helping to float everything you know but now we're kind of in a different position so, and that's a good thing, you know, sure. that's a good thing that we don't have to focus on the events and we don't need the events, you know, so I personally am world. looking forward to not having <laughs> that, you know, because it's, it's a lot, you know. Yeah, I can it's imagine, you know, uh, let me ask you this. So, you know, part of my job on a day-to-day basis is, is education, <clears throat> guidance and counseling, right? So coming from a home brewing background to now being a head brewer of a fantastic brand here in the state of Indiana, you know, when I remember talking with Dave Colt and, and the guys at Triton, and it's like when they started, it was there was maybe 25, maybe, breweries in the state. Now there's north of 180. If you had somebody that come to you and say, you know, Anthony, I'm thinking about opening up a brewery, mm-hmm. and, you know, I want to kind of cross the T's and dot the I's, what guidance, what advice would you give to that person that would walk in through these doors today and ask you that question? Like... Do you really want to do it? <laughs> you know, is there a more wise way to spend your money? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you have to have like it's got to be a passion project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard this saying. It was like, how do you make a million dollars in the brewing industry? It was like, start with ten million, <laughs> and that's the truth for sure. Uh, it's uh, you know, you have to because you don't really make any money until you get to. You know, three to five thousand barrels a year. So that's mm-hmm. a lot, and that's a lot. So I think most of the breweries that are smaller than that are kind of just floating and kind of try. You know, unless you have like a model where um, you're selling everything in house and it's really popular and you're like in a great spot. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say is like, you know, really think about your business plan. Um, what do you want to be, not just now, mm-hmm. but what do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be in 10 years? And what's it going to take to get there? Do you have the capital? Like, how are you going to get that capital? Because, are you, you know, a lot of the times breweries tend to be people who are passionate about brewing. And, you know, they don't have a lot of investors. They're just, they like to brew and sure. a lot of them float their retirements and things like that on it. So it's like, you know, do you have the capital right now to to get to a spot where you will be able to put money away to make it to that next goal or how do you plan to do that do you plan to pick up investors 
you know so that's what i would say is like look at the business plan because if you if you are committed to it and you're making good beer and you know how to do all that um, then you know marketing is really important so make sure that there's room in the budget for that if that's what your goal is immediately like you know um, if you're going to do any kind of distribution you're going to need some kind of marketing and if you're not then like we talked about make sure your area is good because you know ha- starting a tap room right now is risky business mm-hmm. um, so yeah just like Make sure you have a good business plan and make sure you're, you're ready to work a lot of hours, mm. you know, as an owner. I, I, could, I could certainly see that, you know, you're going to have to put in a lot of sweat equity. Understood. Well, all right. Last question. Yeah. You know, when I sit down uh, with prospects or clients for the first time, I always ask them this cornerstone question is, you mentioned five and ten years as far as the business planning, but I like looking at three years. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ask somebody, you know, what would need to take place in the next three years, it could be professionally, financially, emotionally, that if we decided to work together, we met again three years down the road, mm-hmm. what would you want What would you want to see take place that we could look back and say, one, our time zone was valuable and we're on the right track? As you guys kind of come out of the muck and mire that was 2021 and we're moving into 2022, mm-hmm. if we sat down for another podcast in, in three years, Anthony, what would you want to see Terre Haute accomplish that we can look back and say, yeah, we're doing it, man. In three years, I would like to see that, like, you know, obviously the expansion is completely done. Um, And then when that expansion gets done, I mean, this building, I'd say we have the capacity to brew 10 to 15,000 barrels. Uh, In three years, I don't know if 10 to 15,000 barrels is, like, realistic. You know, that might be a little bit further out. It's hard to say, really, but... Um, I would say come back in three years and hopefully we'll be doing like five to 7,000 barrels a year. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be like, all right, you know, we'll be successful and that'll, we'll be, we'll be having a really positive conversation, you know? <laughs> well, that's fantastic, man. Well, that's a great way to end it, man. I uh, yeah. appreciate your time, Anthony. Thanks for having me in your Thank house. You. Thank Everybody you come check them out. Terre Haute Brewing Company. And of course, in Terre Haute, Indiana, great establishment, great place and even better beer. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.